Welcome to Chapter 1 of Health System CIO's interview with Michael Marino, CMIO at Providence St. Joseph Health. In this segment, Marino talks about the three-year journey his organization is embarking on to move to an integrated platform, where he believes the industry is headed in terms of retail health offerings, and the unique challenges multi-state organizations face in managing opioid use. You and I have spoken before a while back, but um, if you could just provide a little bit of basic information about Providence St. Joseph Health, what you have in terms of hospitals and, and the states covered, things like that? Sure. Providence St. Joseph Health is the coming together of multiple organizations, but the two largest were Providence Health and Services and St. Joseph Health. So we cover the West from Alaska to Texas. So we have a presence in Alaska in Washington, Oregon, Montana, California, Texas, and New Mexico. Today we're about 51 hospitals. I believe at last count 850 clinics. We also do home health. We have some housing for the indigent or homeless and two educational programs at high school in Southern California and a university actually in Montana. Okay. So over this large system, is there one EHR in place or are there multiple ones at this point? Great question. So today we have three versions of EPIC. And the reason I say today, because if we were having this conversation next year, we would have one version of EPIC. So we're migrating the people who currently use EPIC to one version. So we'll start the work in 19 and actually do the go-lives in in 2020. The St. Joe's Legacy Organizations use Meditech on the inpatient and all scripts on the outpatient. But the goal by late 2021 is to have everybody on one version of EPIC. Okay. So obviously, absolutely enormous undertaking there. And I would imagine that part of what you're doing now is getting like the planning together for that. Yeah, that is that is the main thrust of what we're doing, at least in the application side of the IT department. But, you know, you can't let everything else slide either. Right, right, of course. Where would you say you are in the process right now as far as, as planning? Is it kind of like early stages or what's really the big focus right now with that? Yeah, and so the big focus of that three-year journey is getting to the single version of Epic for the Epic customers today. Mm-hmm. So lots of planning over the last year. Actually, the build is done. The first go-live is in April, but the build's already completed. So we're moving into UAT soon, and at the same time, we're doing readiness. So as we brought three versions together at Epic, we started with the base Providence version because the most people were on it, but we're making right. um, multiple changes. So we're getting ready for the education, mapping out the hospitals, heat maps, you know, who needs help, who won't need help no matter what you do to the EHR because there's always those kind of people. So. Right. <laughs> okay. And you said the first go live is, is scheduled for April. and. Yes. Which organization is that? Or which which facility? So we are moving the Providence Legacy folks first to the new version because okay. it's okay. the least impactful for them. And then yeah. we'll move the people who are in the Swedish system today, which is five hospitals and their associated clinics, basically okay. in the Seattle Metroplex. 
And then the last version of Epic that we need to move off is Cadillac, which is in southeast Washington in the Tri-Cities area. Okay. And looking at things like workflow, when the first go-live happens, as far as the the Providence legacy folks, I would imagine there are some plans or some talk about being able to take those lessons learned and and make changes as needed for going forward. Always, yeah. So best laid plans in the EMR, I think it's going to work. (laughs) It worked when you were working with the focus groups, but when you scale it occasionally, things don't make as much sense to 1,000 people as they did to 10 people. Right, sure. Can you talk about some of the, the processes that are in place for that as far as making the decisions about what needs to be changed? And I, I can imagine that that is something that gets very complex, especially with a system of this size. Yeah, we have a very evolved, intricate governance structure. So we have an institute model where we have people clustered together by specialties that make high-level decisions. Mm-hmm. And then below them, as you get more into the weed, we have subgroups that are called clinical decision teams that right. literally get into this order bowl is not right, this workflow doesn't work, this nursing assessment doesn't work. Okay. So as you had said before, obviously while all of this is going on, you have to uh, keep up with everything else. And what would you say are some of the other really important areas where you're focused right now? Yeah, I think getting aligned with the business. So we just talked about kind of the larger footprint of Providence St. Joseph Health, but at the same time, we're trying to evolve to stay consistent with the market. So there was some recent business aligned change. There's an acute care division and a physician enterprise division, a retail division, a home health division. So supporting them as they move forward. So a lot of work in the express care space. So, you know, quick visit and more telehealth, both B2B telehealth, you know, a hospital reaching out to another caregiver for specialty care, like stroke care, psychiatry, or the same thing from a telehealth standpoint for patients to providers. You need a quick visit with your doctor. You need a quick visit with any doctor. You know, a lot of our doctors are embracing telehealth for follow-up visits. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because when you speak to different people around the country, there's, there's a lot of different answers. But what are you seeing as far as traction? You said that it, it is something that, that's being embraced more, at least for follow-up care and things like that. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is if you'd had that conversation with anybody in healthcare three years ago, everybody said yeah. everything's going to go mobile. You know, right, right. and I think the reality, and I've used this analogy to try to explain it to people, I think multiple access points, like we have in other aspects of our lives, you know, if you ask people if they're still retail banks, some people will right. tell you no. But if you go into any retail bank, they're everywhere. I mean, Chase is yeah. building new buildings all over the U.S. They're packed. I yeah. mean, you have to wait in line just like you waited in line 20 years ago. So I think we'll see the same thing in healthcare. So there are going to be people who want a retail experience. You know, they want to go into Walgreens and go to an express care clinic. You know, especially younger people, when we were having this conversation strategically, you know, people are like, we need to capture the young people. And I said, I use myself as an example. You know, between 20 and 30 in college till about the middle of medical school, I can count on one hand the number of times I saw a clinician and two of those yeah, were because sure. I had to check a box for college. You right, know, right. you don't have money, 
I mean, we have better insurance now than we did when I was in my 20s. But So mm. people just don't go. But yeah. something like express care or a quick video visit because people are so attached to their phone. So instead of it becoming the disruptive shift, I see it as additive. Yeah. And I, I think when you focus on it like that versus, you know, some people get very enamored, hey, we can move everything virtually. Mm, not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's a more realistic viewpoint, especially considering who the patient populations are. It's, it's a lot of people yeah. who are all about the phones, but then it's a lot of people who are not. So it seems to make sense to me. Yeah, but I think if you want to contain your patient population, you're going to have to be able to provide those different venues. So I yeah. think that's at least where we're changing strategically. It's like one isn't going to take over, but mm-hmm. if we want people to be bonded to us, we want continuity of care as people transition through their lives, we need to be in all the spaces. I wanted to talk about the opioid epidemic, and obviously it's something that, that's gaining a lot of attention now, which which is a good thing, but a lot of challenges as far as physicians being able to access all of the information they need about a given patient. So wanted to talk about what, what you guys are doing there and how to kind of give physicians better access to the information that they need at the point of care. So three fronts are happening all at the same time to access the information. Mm-hmm. Within Epic, Epic is doing a better and better job of sharing between Epic clients. Mm-hmm. And literally saying, you know, you have medications to reconcile from outside. Right. So mm-hmm. someplace like Seattle or L.A. Or, or most of Oregon, you know, if you're being seen in our facility and then two other systems across town, you can see that in the EMR. Mm-hmm. Because opioids are an issue, but then you think there are other issues alongside that in people who have drug problems, right? Yeah. So. So you want to be able to see that, right? Are, are they taking painkillers? Are they taking tranquilizers? Are they taking psychotropics? There's an yeah. issue across the spectrum. So you can see that in Epic. And then in our other ministries, we have a fairly robust HIE that's connected with a lot of the people in our adjacent service areas. So um, you can look there. And then each of the states have um, sites, and I think almost every state require before and the interesting thing when you practice in multiple states, you have to live with the regulatory issues in each state. So each yeah. of the individual states have drug registries for opioids. I'll uh, give you an example. I have a licensed practice in California. So I'll see mm. patients once a month. Don't write those kind of prescriptions. But if I did, the law in California is I have to ping the cure site to see if, if I was taking care of you, to see if anybody else had wrote you an opioid prescription to make sure you're not drug-seeking. And we are working with several vendors across our different states because each of those states have to be treated individually to um, bring that into the EMR. So it's not a close the EMR, click the icon, remember what my password is for cures. So multiple different vendors are in that space. So in Texas, we have a vendor that puts it up in real time. Oregon, we're finishing the contracting, um, and there actually is a regulatory requirement to have that within the EMRs, but I think it's 20 or 21, sort of moving targets. Yeah. So that helps, and I think just the awareness has really changed. So we're going back into some of our order strings, and instead of you getting a two-week supply or a month supply of a pain medication, it's now three days. And I have to say as a physician, you know, medicine is 
partially responsible for this. Fifteen years ago, there was a big push within healthcare that we weren't prescribing enough pain medication, that we weren't adequately addressing pain medication. Right. And most of the state medical boards, I use California example, you know, required that within a two-year period, every physician in the state of California got 15 hours of medical education on end-of-life issues and pain management. And, you yeah. know, you sat in the classroom and they said, you're stingy. You're not prescribing pain meds. Wow. So a lot of us, you can find multiple articles that say, you know, that was probably the tipping point. Yeah, so sure. most people used to be overly cautious and people were uncomfortable. And then yeah. everybody said, okay, well, the class said we're okay. So then they went the other way. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and imagine that from the physicians, a lot of it comes back also to, to managing expectations for patients as far as pain. And I had heard somebody speak about this and say that there can't be an expectation to the patients and families that they're not going to have pain after procedures. Yeah, and I think the problem is you have to really tightly manage it. So within the EMR, we built what are called multimodal pain sets. So, you know, when you're first in severe pain, you should do this, but then we should rapidly wean you to something else. Right, right. Yeah, so narcotics to start with and then long-acting NSAIDs and then something as simple as Tylenol or ibuprofen, yeah, sure. right? But you got to be on top of it. and. I think what we didn't realize as a healthcare industry or or the medical side of things is when you loosen that up and you hit more and more people with opioids than the the people who biology is susceptible to being addictive, you know, Mm -hmm. we hit all those people. Yeah. And a a big part of that is is making sure that physicians can easily access things like the risk that certain patients and getting that information at the point of care. So knowing are you narcotic naive, and I have mm-hmm. to start with a really low dose and you probably only need a couple of days, or looking at your prescribed history over the last five years and every time you bump your knee, you're in there trying to get narcotics. Yeah, sure. And that seems like something that's going to continue to uh, move forward, especially hopefully as you're talking about state registries becoming hopefully easier to, to work with. Yeah, I think the overarching thing of being able to see medication, all medications across the EMRs is a big win. And then the state registry mandate that we work either with our major EMR vendors or secondary vendors to get it in the EMR so it's ease of use. Right, yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.